You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Welcome to another episode of Rewind with Besa. Today I have a very special guest with me and I'm going to actually tell him the first time that I actually seen him in person. He's probably not going to remember it, but I definitely remember that day. Of course, it is Nate Jackson. He's going to be joining us right here on Rewind with Besa as soon as we get through this intro. How you doing, Nate? Solid. How about yourself? <laughs> not bad, not bad. I'd be a little better if it wasn't so uh, rainy outside today, but I think, I feel like Mother Nature was like, you guys got enough of the clear skies. Huh. You guys got a little too comfortable with the decent weather. Right. I need to remind you of where you're actually at. Listen, this year was like hot, then warm, then frozen. Just like one <laughs> overnight. It was a moment. What? Or three. No warning. No warning. But honestly, I feel like that's kind of how it usually is out here. But it's just honestly gotten worse through like the climate change and the global mm-hmm. warming. And now it's like, why is it 80 degrees in October? That part. <laughs> Thank you, though. I appreciate right. it, but I'm a little worried. But I'm out here confused. I'm like, is this a hot flash? <laughs> I'm a is worried. that even something I'm supposed to be going through? No, <laughs> period. I thought it was just me. I was like, this ain't right. <laughs> now, so, okay. For starters, uh-huh. I want to tell you about the first time that I ever seen you in person. I'm on the edge of my seat. Since you introed it, I was like, now hold up. <laughs> so it was at, oh God, what was the club called? It was Citrus. Okay. And um, who was there that day? Mike Epps was there that day and I was taking, I was like just starting out and I was like taking pictures of like just everyone. I was like still with C-Spot at the time. Mm -hmm. And then when I was getting pictures out of nowhere, um, Mike Epps goes, don't take any more photos. (laughs) Why? And then you looked at him and then you didn't know who I was at the time because I was like 21 or something like that. I, I don't know. I guess it was like disturbing or maybe he just wanted to be left alone or whatever have you, but. That was the first time I saw you in person. <laughs> and I just looked at him? Yeah, you just kind of looked at me and was like, eh. <laughs> Dang. I honestly don't remember that. I do remember that night, though. That night was wild. That night was off the chain. So I, I, um, my homeboy was doing media with him, Aunt Rose. And Aunt Rose was like, yo, you got to come down and do the show or whatever. And I was like, what show? He was like, it's Mike Epps. I'm like, bruh, there's nowhere else I'm going to be. Uh-huh. I get down there, I do the show. Now, Mike stays at the hotel until intermission. Uh-huh. So I go up and just do my thing of course right like i kind of spiked the show a little bit and uh we go to intermission and come back then mike gets there i rocked somebody went on twitter and said tell me why last night nate jackson was funnier than mike Epps." i'm like no i'm trying to work Rule number one is don't outshine the master. I had a decent set. Don't do that. And 48 laws of power. And the girl who wrote the tweet was in Spokane, didn't even go to the show. So how would she have even known? She don't. Just on Twitter trying to shake it up. Oh, was she being messy? I'm like, man, and my boy called me. He was like, yo, I put you on the show. Now Twitter's going crazy. You got to get this girl to delete this tweet. And I was like, bro, it's four in the morning. I don't even know if I can reach. I got a hold of her at like six. I'm like, you got to take this down. This is crazy. <laughs> right when she goes to take it down, I'm on the phone with her. She's like, oh, hold on. He responded. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? She said, he responded. I said, oh, my God. The response said something like, if he's that funny, why is he stuck in Seattle? <laughs> 
She's like, somebody's in their feelings, boop. That's what she wrote back. I'm like, delete everything. Delete the whole delete account. Delete everything. Delete the whole account immediately. Bruh, <laughs> I had chocolate Sundays that Sunday. So I'm in Seattle Friday, Saturday. Sunday, I'm in L.A. So I see him at the Laugh Factory in Hollywood. I'm like, hey, man, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Nate Jackson, the comic that's stuck in Seattle. Right? He was like, How you doing? He just looked at me like, shut your ass up. I'm like, we cool, but I was like, man, I'm sorry somebody was writing crazy on t- on Twitter, bro. But that ain't my energy. I'm thankful for the opportunity, man. Goodness. No, period. Like, you never want for someone that, especially someone you look up to mm-hmm. and you actually want to work with, and then all of a sudden someone's like, oh, yeah, this person's funnier. Well, it's like, well, well now he's not going to ever want me to open up for him because now this is obviously what the fans are thinking. You just made it real awkward, ma'am. Well, she didn't see it, and he didn't see it. So he's just snapping <laughs> back on, on Twitter. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Man, I'm like, come on. And people do that all the time. I've done shows where people come up and they're like, yo, you were the funniest one on the show. The whole lineup standing right there selling shirts. I'm like, man, don't do that, man. Don't do that. That's awkward. They walk right. Hey, can I just get a picture with Jess Udo? I'm like, people, just get it with everybody. And crop like, them if you have to. Get the group picture and then ask for the solo. <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't feel like that kind of etiquette is too hard. It's like, why you want to make it weird for me on the tour bus? They do not mind. They say that and then they head right on down the stairs. All right now. I'm like, you just shook us up for three months. Appreciate it. <laughs> because now every freaking show, they're thinking like, well, shoot, is, are any fans going to want a photo with me? You they always saying? only want photos with, right. with Nate. He's the Michael Jackson of the group. I don't want to go call on tour with him. Come on, man. Get in the picture with him. Man, they yeah. asked me to get they don't in the, want me in the photo. Man, you were rocking though. <laughs> Come on, man. Don't let the people do that. People, stop doing that. I get it. It is a funny show, but don't do that. No, I feel it. So let me ask you this. Okay. You're from Olympia, but grew up in Tacoma? Lacey. Lacey. Yeah, and there's there's a difference. They're very close to each other, but like, we have a lot of military in Lacey because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, two or three exits closer to Fort Lewis. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I grew up in Lacey, Washington. And then what'd you say about Tacoma? Uh, I thought you grew up in Tacoma. No, I didn't grow up in Tacoma. I grew up in Lacey, but I when I came back from L.A., I threw shows in Tacoma. Mm. I, th- I actually threw shows in 12 different cities, but I shut all of them down when I had this really op- really dope opportunity to do this venue called Varsity Grill, um, which held like 400 people. So I stopped all 12 shows and then started that one big one in Tacoma, and then that ran successfully for quite a while. And nice. so that's how Tacoma became a thing. And now my club is in Tacoma, and I live in Tacoma now. Got you. Okay, so like... Because, like, when people, like, write, they'll always be like, Tacoma's Nate Jackson. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, but I've seen other things where he said that he's not from Tacoma. So, I'm like, where is Tacoma. all this Tacoma coming I w- from? Listen, I was Do born in like St. Peter's Hospital, St. <laughs> Peter's Hospital, Lydia Hawk Elementary, Seven Oaks Elementary, Nisqually Middle School, River Ridge High School, <laughs> all 360, all Lacey. And people from Tacoma be like, he ain't from here, though. Right? And I'm fine with that. But I am there, so come yeah. rock with me. You know what I'm saying? You are there. And, and speaking of you being there, let's just like go into, you know, we'll get to that in a second. I seen that you ended up going into comedy after you were dared mm. to enter a comedy show. Okay. How did that happen? Because Research. I just love those like, Research. I mean, man. Okay. <laughs> I've been doing this for 10 years. I better know how to do a quick Google or two. I know, that's um, right. So how did that come about? Like, because here's my thing. Mm-hmm. I always knew that I wanted to kind of like just be in radio at some point, right? But it almost sounds like maybe comedy wasn't what you planned on doing, but it just made sense after you did that that comedy show or the competition. Literally. 
Literally. Just like that. Wow. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be an aeronautical engineer. Right. So I went to Florida Memorial College in Miami with a full ride. Then I transferred into Washington State University. And then I transferred to Eastern Washington University because they still had computer science, mm-hmm. uh, the major that, that I wanted. Excuse me. So then I transferred into Eastern Washington University. And I'm like, bet. And then I was there probably three weeks. And the way Eastern was set up is we would all meet in the middle of the campus on the, at the pub. And I mean, if you had classes, there was two hours after your classes where you would be in the pub. I'm talking like all the black kids at the whole school. Just living life. What? Roasting, <laughs> eating, clowning, figuring out what's going on for the weekend. And there was this one little one little dude, right? John Fowler. John Fowler. John Fowler, right? He was the like one the, that started it all. He was an awkward little white guy. He looked kind of like Harry Potter. And um, he had been doing comedy on the low, like during Christmas breaks, during vacations, Thanksgiving break. So he was doing stand-up already in Seattle, like giggles and the underground and things like that. Uh-huh. I'm just roasting, clowning, snapping on people. And he was like, dude, if there was a comedy competition, would you do it? And I'm like, who's in it? He's like, people from here. I'm like, yeah, and I'll probably win. (laughs) He's like, okay, we'll turn around and look at that banner behind you, right? Now, I had came up the stairs. So he gave you a full-on setup. Full setup. Full-on setup. I turn around. It's like student-only comedy competition Wednesday. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Literally, oh, my God. I'm like, I got to write some jokes. So we were allowed to have a three by five card in our hands. And there was like maybe 16 people that did this comedy show. Uh-huh. And I lost only to John Fowler. So I was like, I might be on to something because he'd been doing comedy for a while. Yeah. And he was like, you're definitely on to something. That's why I dared you to do it. I saw potential. I'm like, okay. Come on, John Fowler. That part. So then I just I just kind of stuck with it, started finding out the comedy scene in Spokane, hitting the brick wall comedy club down there and doing one nighters. And then the the owner of the comedy club started sending me out around eastern Washington where I was like, my first road gig was Walla Walla, Washington. Which how? In the middle of nowhere, okay? Uh tell me about it. I've but been. we went six cars deep. So it was like half the crowd was us and half the crowd was whatever Walla Walla had brought up. It was lit. And um, so I just stuck with it and I did some more research. I talked to more veteran comics, got a couple mentors in it and found out that it's actually, you know, show business. I yeah. was just enamored by the lights and I realized there's actually some chips in it if you do it right. I love it. Now, when did you realize that you had to leave Washington and go to L.A.? Uh, I knew before I graduated, mm-hmm. but I was not sure. And um, this is why it's so important to have like phenomenal I'll say it. Phenomenal African-American representation on campuses to help guide the young African-American students mm. because they saw me get bit by the comedy bug. They knew I was a, you know, a very, very good graded student and I could stay in the system and go on and get more degrees or they even offered me a job as African-American student recruiter. Oh, wow. And I talked to Rodney Perry. He's an OG comic. If you guys are familiar with with comedy for real, if you're a connoisseur, then, you know, Rodney Perry. And uh, Rodney said, listen, man, L.A. is always going to be there, but so is that job if the lady says so. So go talk to whoever offered you the job and see if they'll let you take a crack at L.A. And if it doesn't work, you can always run home. And so I talked to Nancy Nelson, Dr. Nancy Nelson, bless her heart. She is still with us, but I just want to say bless her heart. And she said, yeah, I'll hold the job for you. Take a crack at L.A. I see you're passionate about comedy. And I went down there and just started roughing it. I freaking love that because it's like, I think there are so many times where we have like a spark and people just don't take that chance, right? Mm. It's like doing the job with, what'd you say her name was? Nancy? Nancy Nelson. 
taking that job would have been the safe route, right? Like, mm-hmm. it would have been guaranteed money. It would have been, like, a guaranteed salary that you probably would have been able to retire some years later with, like, a full-on pension. Yep. And you were like, you know what? I'm hold. Right. <laughs> Put a pin in it as me and my friends think. It doesn't work out fine, but you would be in this moment had you have not taken that leap. Like, did you do any manifestations before you went down to L.A.? Like, did you have like a full on blueprint to where it was like this like is going to work? a vision board? Yeah. Let me tell you something. No. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm young, black, gifted. I'm out of here. Peace. $600 in my pocket. 17 hour drive. I got family down there. I'm going to live with my older cousin. It is what it is. I'm thinking I'm in the heart of it. I get down there. I'm an hour away from Hollywood, even though that's still L.A. area. Yeah. And that's what we take for granted here. When people be like, he ain't from Tacoma. I'm like, it's 20 minutes. Do you realize Houston is like three (laughs) hours across just from one side of Houston to the next side of Houston? They'd be mad over uh, five exits. So. I got down there thinking I'm about to be in the heart of it. I'm in the mix. You say they be mad over five exits. Five exits. (laughs) I had a 48 minute, if I was smash and drive from where I was at into where all the clubs were in Hollywood. And I would work from nine to five. And then I would have my butt in by seven. I'd grab something to eat on the way. And then I'd be out. And the thing about when you're a young comic in LA, you may not even get spots, but you got to hang out. Mm. And the hangout is everything. Because if you do get a spot and other comics see you, they have rooms too. They're like, yo, I got a room out in, kind of out there by where you are. Mm-hmm. You should come do that. Or you, I got a room in such and such. And now you work in three, four or five nights a week doing five and six shows. So you guys call it rooms. Yeah. If, so it's a, it's a, it's a night of mm-hmm. comedy. If somebody, let's just say you want to start a comedy night. Mm-hmm. So you go down to X Stadium and you're like, it's basically presents um, Laugh Out Loud Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. That's a room. Gotcha. You don't, it's not. It's not. It's not a full time five shows a weekend national headliner deal. It's just a room. Gotcha. Okay. Um, then the next level up is comedy clubs, mm-hmm. right? Because they have consistent. It's it's a place for that. That's not X Stadium's main vision or what they are. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So everybody has rooms, whether it's in a coffee shop or it's in a tea house or it's in a, a little theater. Maybe some people get dope rooms, mm-hmm. but it's still a room. I had a room on a Thursday night. That's gotcha. what I stopped the 12 rooms and did the one. And so the hangout is necessary because you got to know everybody. It's a huge camaraderie. Doctors, no doctors, football players, no football players and comics, no comics. The networking. That's what I'm saying. And that was exhausting because I would have to hang out till one in the morning and get back out there. And I will about an hour back because I wouldn't be smashing on the way home and then do the next day all over again. What would you say was like your most memorable break when you first went to LA? Um, a memorable break. I don't know about a break, but I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you when I was like, yo, this is great. Like I have a new perspective of what's popping. So before I went to L.A., I came back to this side of the mountains where my my people are, Mm -hmm. my parents and all that. And I was gigging over here doing shows in Lacey, Olympia, Tacoma, Seattle. Mm -hmm. And I had I I was the new guy. I'm like, yo, I got a dope 30 minutes. I'm shooting a DVD. I'm making a special. And I paid I paid um, uh, Giorgio from here. And we shot a special at Columbia City Theater. Yes. And it was my best work at the time. Mind you, hindsight being 2020, it wasn't good comedy. 
okay? There was some gems in there, but it needed to be, needed to be sifted on. more. And I had been working it, yeah. But I didn't know it was it was it was excellent for Washington, mm-hmm. and it was just enough to get me by in Hollywood. See, that's interesting. I like that. It was excellent for Washington. Yeah. So, would you say that our comedy standards are different than in like in LA, or do you think that our standards in general are just different? It's it's just different. It's a different playing field, right? So, here, if you're killing it, people say you're ready for LA. Mm-hmm. In LA, if you're killing it, they say you're ready for stardom. Mm. You get what I'm saying? So this is a perspective I had. I went down to L.A. and I went to Mo, Mo Better Mondays. It's the blackest comedy night that Hollywood has. D-Ray Davis is the host. It's on Mondays. Big Spike, who acts like his name sounds, is the producer of the show. I walk up to him. I'm a young, uh, you know, just just gifted and, and full of hope comic with my little DVD fully packaged. And I give it to him. I'm like, Hey man, I just shot a special and I just want to know if I could get down here. He takes my DVD and he tosses it like it's trash. I nut up like, excuse me, fam. Like, didn't even know I had it in me to be like that. But he threw my heart, right? He it. I was like, the fuck? like I was in it. I was nose to his chest, like, oh, it's going like, down. Fam. You like, I was so mad. He was like, go over there and wait with the rest of the comics. Yeah. If you're ready, I'll see if you're ready. Right? And it's dark before the show starts. They bring the lights up and D-Ray comes out. They turn the lights. And at the, the way that the improv used to be set up is all the comments could stand against the right side. Like when you walk in the showroom, it's shaped like a square and you can stand against the right wall. Uh-huh. So the lights come up and I just follow where he pointed. I'm like, let me just go over here and stand with all these bums. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. The lights come up. It's Lunell, Red Grant, Cat Williams, <laughs> Toure. They aren't on the show. They're just hanging out to where if somebody don't show up or somebody's late or somebody bombing, Spike or Cat, kill that shit. Shut up. Lunel, rock out. Now, here I am with my little DVD that I done picked up. He cracked the corner of it. I put it in my hoodie pocket. And I stood over there, and them lights came up, and I saw the silhouettes of all the people that I've been watching on Comic View and on all the different comedy specials that are taped. And I was like, it's going to be a minute. This is going to be a minute. And that's the difference between L.A. and Seattle. If I walked into a room at that point in Seattle, I probably generated some whispers like, oh, Nate's here, the dude from Spokane, or the funny guy from. Yeah. Walking in L.A., it's a whole nother. What? So I was at least a medium sized fish in a small pond. And down there, I was a. uh, Like a guppy. What? (laughs) A fish egg in the ocean. Okay. And that's the difference, and that's the perspective that I gained from it. But Spike, actually, I went up, he put me up. He's like, do three minutes. Not that night. It was like a month of nights later. And I went up and I did three minutes. I was expecting, you know, real time, 15 minutes, because that's how long the spots are here. Yeah. I'm like, three minutes? And I go up and I do my best jokes I got in them three minutes. I probably fit two of my funniest bits in three. Uh-huh. A closer and a closer. Light comes on. I bail. He's like, come back next Monday. I come back next Monday. He's like, do five minutes. So I'm up there for five. Now I do three jokes. I'm up there for five minutes. The light don't come on. I get off at five minutes. Uh-huh. He's like, if I don't like you, that means keep going. I want to see what you got. I'm like, I'm not going to disrespect your room. I thought maybe I missed the yeah. light. He was like, all right, come like, back in a month. So then a month later, I come back. Now, at this point, other comics are noticing like, yo, Spike's got him in the system. Like Spike is trying to see what this kid yeah. has. And I'm rocking because I had a half hour and I'm still okay. working. 
Washington half hour. Uh-huh. Take what's good enough for Hollywood, and there was maybe eight, nine minutes in that. But because of the nature of Hollywood and how fast showcase spots are, there was nothing more than the five minute spots. Yeah. So I was just going around killing all the little five minute spots. Look. Making a name for myself and cutting all of the everything else out and making new material and fixing the old material that it was up to par. Like yeah. it had to be rapid pow 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 pow. Like how you gonna go up and you on a show with Tony Roberts and Red Grant and Chris Spencer and and you up there playing around. Period. And the wall is full of people who want that time. And will stab you for it. That part. So that's the difference between the two places. Mm, it's like a levels thing. I think so. Definitely levels. Um, when did you end up at Wallin' Out? Like, how did that come about? Wallin' that- Out Wallin Out took so long for me to get on that okay. by the time I got on it, there was conversations about me being too old to be on it. We're not going to acknowledge any of the other talent or how old they are. We're just going to say that that's a message that I had gotten. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, there was four ways that I finally got on the Wild and Out. One was uh, I tried to audition for it, but nobody would tell me when the auditions were because they saw that I was good. And it's a dog eat dog and information's everything. So I would find out the day after, like, yo, Wild and Out auditions were yesterday. I'm like, what? Why ain't nobody say nothing? I was here in town. I saw all y'all last night outside the club. It's like, and you knew. Right. You purposely, you knew right. good and well that you were going there. They'll get a call back and then call me like, bro, can you help me get ready for the audition? They call me back. I'm like, fam, I, what? I'll help you. I'll help you. Meanwhile. I just wanted a shot. <laughs> so I tried to audition for three years and the information wasn't reaching me. Mm-hmm. Before, just for being good. Then... On the fourth year, I reached out to Niall Evans, who's the showrunner for the show. And I was like, hey, man, I just told him. I'm like, for the last three years, I've been trying to get in for an audition, but nobody will tell me when they are because I'm good. He was like, okay, bro. That's wild. I've I've heard a lot of different stuff, but shut up. Like, that's what he was on. Because, you know, he's got tens of thousands of people trying to get on this show. And I'm saying other people won't tell me because I'm too good. He's like, no, we've seen everybody. And you're not about to walk in here and impress me. Right? He goes... Come in here tomorrow. I'm at this address. I get there. It's a room. Same size as this. He's sitting. Let's say this is the front of the room. I walk in at the head of the table. He's to the left. He's got his nephew in the corner filming. And there's two writers sitting right here and here. It's only four of us in the room. And one is quiet with the camera. And he's like, make me laugh. I'm sorry, what? He's like, make me laugh. I'm like, okay, I need a little more structure than that. He's like, all right, that was that was a little... That was, that was far-fetching. Here's what I want you to do. Right? He's like, what? <laughs> he's like, I want you to play. We're going to play three games. Right? So he's like, break up with me. Because, you know, they got that game on there. It's a conference room. There's no props. But there is an oatmeal bar on the table. You know, uh-huh. them hard ones that break the roof of your mouth. There's a green hard one of those, Nature Valley. And then there is my cell phone. And then whatever they're working on. I didn't want to touch their stuff. So I grabbed my phone and I said, I said, I'm ready. He said, you don't need more time. I said, all I'm doing is breaking up with you, man. Let's go. (laughs) He's like, all right, peon, basically go, right? So I took my phone and I held it over the the granola thing. And I said, where's my phone in relation to this granola bar? He said, it's over it. And I said, I'm over you. And I just (laughs) spun my phone like that. And he was like, "Mm, mm, okay. I see where we're going. Okay. (laughs) 
what else can you do? I was like, I can sing. He was like, sing. I was like, love, so many things I've got to tell you. He's like, okay, okay. And I was like. So I get out of there after killing moments like that. One of the writers in the room is actually the homie, but he's being discreet about it. Yeah. I'm like, how'd it go? He was like, bro, you tickled his fancy. As weird as that sounds, that mattered. You know what I mean? So he's like, yeah. And I'm like, man, I hope I get on it. I call now. I'm like, hey, man, you know, thank you for finally seeing me. How do you, what do you think? How'd it go? He said, I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, that's what's up. And he's like, we'll call you. And I'm like, all right, cool. They, that whole season happens. No call. Next season happens. No call. Next season happens. So that's two. That's, 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 a, that's two whole it's, situations. It's, well, it's a full year because they're shooting twice a year now. So, mm. so there's, there's talking to them, going in and doing well. Uh, Eric Powers and Cube 93 did a comedy jam at the Emerald Queen. I remember that. Okay. They called me and said, because I was interning here, trying to get on the radio, working with Tony Benton. And uh, Eric's like, you just won this comedy contest. This was 2010. And I won the biggest black comedy contest in America. Uh, and then had to come back in for my internship. Mm-hmm. Just humble pie, right? I knew what it was. And he's like, but listen, we're having comedy night, and we're going to do it at Emerald Queen. Nick Cannon's in town for his new headphones. He's going to be doing a, doing a DJ gig at Trinity. We're going to have a comedy show earlier that night at Emerald Queen. Can you book two other comics? And so it's you three and then Nick Cannon. Mm-hmm. I'm like, bet. So I book Ralph Porter, Justin Hayes, me, and Nick. We all do Emerald Queen. Big old showroom. It's packed. It's crazy. And I rock. Of and, course you did. Okay. A uh, friend of mine from high school, uh, Tarima Thomas. Tarima Thomas uh, was born and like raised for a little while in San Diego. So was Nick Cannon's family. Mm. Nick, so she knew Nick Cannon as a kid. Nick, her mom knew Nick Cannon's mom. And then, so that, so that happened. Come on, synchronicity. I had my night. Okay. Nick Cannon's mom came to kick it with her homegirls and came to my Thursday night. And I was on fire. So I just blew the room away on the Thursday night in front of Nick Cannon's mom, who looks exactly like him, by the way. <laughs> okay. So his mama, us performing, me killing it in that thing, me reaching out, uh, all of that f- four years later finally got me in the room where people are literally doing the games and stuff. And then you show up the next day and it'd be less people. Wow. Then you come back the next day and half the people gone. You come back the next day, half of them people gone. You come back the next day, all the old cast is in there with you. Wow. You come back the next day, a couple of them gone, a couple Ooh. of new people gone. Next day, we're going to film. And I just happened to make the cut. And that's how I got on Wildin' Out. Wowzers. Mm-hmm. To me, that's like a big synchronicity moment because it's like if you missed one of those steps, the other steps wouldn't have necessarily connected the same. Exactly. Like, I love stories like that. And again, had you have stayed in Washington and not took that chance and went to L.A., all this wouldn't be happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, your comedy club. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say, being that it is not only one of only like, what, four black owned ones, you have the biggest. I think it's six now. Six now? Yeah, but I didn't know it was the biggest. We were just making a club. Oh. Okay. And then I found out that um, two or three of the clubs that we thought were black owned weren't. And then I was like, oh, well, we might be the biggest. And then I found out we were by like between seven and 10 seats. Wow. At 280 seats in the showroom, we were the biggest black owned club. 
Wow. What would what would you say was the hardest part of opening that? COVID. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one yeah. thing to be like, I'm going to build this business. It's another thing to have to build all day long, go sit in front of the news and watch a pandemic crawl across the world from China and things are slowing down here. This is true. That's in the middle of trying to get funding. That's in the middle of trying to raise investors. That's in the middle of like digging in, breaking up all the concrete and putting bathrooms, floors in and, and building out a ceiling because it was a concrete slab wow. that I'm looking at COVID coming across the world. And then it hit and we just had to like shut everything down. We got open for three days. And then had to close again. And then had to close. We opened a Friday, Saturday, and a Sunday. And then on the Wednesday of the following week, the governor's office called us and said, the governor's doing the an entertainment ban. you got to stop. And I'm like, but this is an entertainment. This is a speaking engagement. It really is. You're technically. still allowing Rotary. You still have, you know what I'm saying? Like, I had all these little loopholes. I was like, we should still be able to go. Yeah. No entertainment, but they play the piano at El Gaucho still. They're like, you're not El Gaucho. <laughs> and so it was a wrap. It was a wrap. And we had to close for the majority of a year. Wow. Uh, and then we were able to open back up at 25%, then 50%, then back to 25%, then back to 50%. But it was looking like we were going trending up. So we were seating, literally seating for 75% when the news came that California had opened up fully. And then 10 minutes after California opened up fully, Washington followed. Nice. So then we went to 100%. Oh, serious. Okay. Well, yeah, COVID would definitely put a damper on pretty much everything. Like, I started doing my mixers in, like, a few months before COVID, and then I had to stop them for, like, two years. I was like, damn, just once they started getting going. All my momentum. Like, literally. Like, I had my biggest one, and then all of a sudden it was like, you know. Yeah, bring them back. They're back. I did. Yeah. yeah, I brought them back. I brought them back. I had my last one um, on the 16th, and we packed out Sugar Hill. Like literally, people were coming That's up the crazy. stairs, and they had to go back downstairs because there was too many I people need upstairs. That invite. I'm I'm going to be doing one in your area very soon. <laughs> do it at the club. I could do it at the club. Could yeah. I? Why not? That would be dope. Mm hmm. Because you also have a stage. Yeah. We shall talk. <laughs> yeah. My little—you guys officially just saw what it looks like when my my little wheels start turning. Well, Spidey senses was like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, work. hold on. And you know, you start doing the calculations. You know, we'll talk about that for sure. But yeah, no. So, okay, what would you say has been the most rewarding thing for you opening up your club now that COVID is over and you can have people like Tiffany Haddish coming in February? Okay, so yes. Um, one is I can see the fruits of the relationships. I wouldn't say fruits of labor, fruits of the relationships. Because mm. I had, I had, I have friends who have blown up or were already hot. You know what I mean? And if you don't have somewhere where they're doing business on that level, then you guys aren't going to do it. Yeah, you'll just remain just a friend. But with me having a club of this size and being the biggest in the Pacific Northwest, it only makes sense for them that are touring to slide. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So Tiffany Haddish being a, what I would consider a good friend of mine uh, is like, yeah, I got you. Come on, let's go. You know what I mean? And that's like talking direct to her. Mm -hmm. All right, come on, let's do it. Boom. We go. Ken Whitley's coming. Boom. D.L. Hughley, who's a new member of Omega Sci-Fi. I'm a member of Omega Sci-Fi. He's like, dog, I'll be there. Uh, D. Ray Davis, who I met through going to Monday and ended up working with him quite a bit and even featuring for him at a couple points. He's coming. So we have monsters 
coming through the Pacific Northwest and a lot of them haven't come in like a decade. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I don't think that's the biggest fruit. Like, it's like, yeah, I'm funny. Yes, they know me as, oh, it's another little funny dude coming from my spot or whatever. But now it's more like a synergy. Now it's like, yes, I'm funny, but you know what I mean? So I've been able to essentially, and I don't want to, I don't want to uh, mince my words, but I'll say leapfrog some of the pecking order mm-hmm. by being in the ownership. Mm. And then also um, when you're, when you, when you're on this side of the, the curtain, you learn a whole lot about the business and you have a lot of conversations with people you would not have had access to without the, the venue, without the opportunity. Like I'm talking to agents five, six times a week. Mm. So I hear how they talk, how they think, what they know, what their mentality is. And I have imparted on my closest friends who are on the cusp of popping. I'm like, let me tell you what's truly important. Yeah. Because you can spin your wheels for years working on something that isn't even tangible to them. Mm-hmm. Where I say, man, he did this, this, and this. And they go, that's cool, but what about blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, he has not even a footprint over there. <laughs> but had the person put the energy in that space, yeah. they would be popping there. Or like, have they known to do that? You see what I'm saying? And so now I know what are the analytics that are, you know, making someone lucrative. Everyone needs an agent. Everyone wants a manager. Now I know what's the criteria for that to even happen. Mm -hmm. Because it's a vicious cycle. If you want an agent, the agent's going to tell you you need a manager. Mm. If you want a a manager, they're going to tell you you need an agent. So there you are just going, man, come on. But if you're hot. Have you both sit down at the same time? (laughs) But if you're hot, someone will approach you and they will bring and you will have auditions Mm. for your management. Auditions for your agent. They do it when they, when when they know we're about to make some money. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because that's what they're into. They're into monetizing followings. They're into monetizing talent. Because we got families to feed. No parent. You know what I mean? So you could be hilarious, but if you don't, if it doesn't transition into butts and seats and hitting the road and making some real money, then why would somebody take the time from their life to do that for you when they have? their phone won't stop ringing from people who are lucrative. Yeah. I think people don't realize that like some, there are so many people that are talented, but for some reason they just might not make money on certain things or they might not be able to get people out to come to one of venue. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know if you need to get your social media together. I don't know if you got to like find someone to help you get more of a personality to where people can feel more connected to you. But yeah, that's definitely a thing. There's plenty of talented people, but yet they just can't get, the general public's attention or keep it for long enough to where they become lucrative. Mm-hmm. Join us this holiday season at the Fifth Avenue Theater and feel the power of love overflowing with the Wiz. Filled with soaring soul and R&B songs, it's an effervescent explosion of music, dance, and magic your whole family will love. Ease on down the yellow brick road with Dorothy as she learns home isn't really where you live. It's who you love. The Wiz at the Fifth Avenue Theater, November 19th through December 23rd. Tickets at fifthavenue.org. Um, let me ask you this. I recently seen that the FDA approved lab-made meats. Mm-hmm. Are you going to try it? No. What do you think of that? If I can help it, I'm not eating it. But here's the thing. 
Uh, we probably been eating lab-made meats for a minute. <laughs> probably. Okay? If you ever stopped at a drive-thru, you don't know. We don't know what's in there. You don't know. Somebody <laughs> said there was horse meat in, in Burger King. Somebody <laughs> told me that while I was ordering a Whopper. And I and literally, my, my college agent, I'm on the phone. He's like, where are you at? I'm like, I'm at Burger King. He's like, well, don't eat that. They got horse meat. I'm like, how do you know that? He's like, I saw it in a, in a thing. The voice is like, you want anything else with that? I'm like, uh, with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had a Whopper? I'm pulling around. Like, it, it is what it is. I guess I'm, I'll be Mr. Ed. I'm coming around. It's coming out anyway. I'm coming about around. An hour. I'm coming around to get my Whopper with cheese. Yeah, I'll see you in just a second. I don't, I don't know. But I, I don't want to have a Petri dish meat, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was telling um, Owen Proof earlier, I was like, love made meat. Just tell us that we're running out of food already. Like, if we're running out of food, just say that. Because this whole FDA-approving lab-made meat situation is real weird. Because if that was the case, why not just have vegan meat? Like, why does it have to be like... What What are y'all telling us without telling us is how I see things like that. Mm-hmm. So, a little bit disturbed there. Right. But... Who got the money 20 years ago to start developing this? And what were they in a race against time for? And that's the real thing, because it's not like someone just thought of this yesterday. Mm-hmm. Like, this didn't just come up two or three. This didn't come up even at the top of the pandemic. This has been getting worked on for a minute. And that's why I'm like, what do you guys, I mean, obviously they know things that we don't know, but mm-hmm. what do you know about meat and these animals to where you want to be like, oh, pretty soon you won't have to actually consume real animals. And I'm like, is it because they're going to be all gone? Like, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. You about to go vegetarian? No. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. No. We don't even care. Oh. That's the problem. They're like, are we going to do it? And then then the country they want to try that on is us because we are the fat country. I got fat. Did you get fat during Corona? Did I? It was like the freshman 15. I have like some pants that are just in a certain area of my closet now because it's... (laughs) Not well, even I'm, over the kneecaps anymore. I'm trying anymore. to lose weight to where I can go buy things at the mall again. Like I gained enough weight that I'm I'm at the I'm at the swap meet with it. I'm like, where's the four X's, bro? Like that's where I'm at. So but I gotta it, drop some. Is it just me or is this COVID weight harder to lose? I mean, I don't even know. This is the biggest I have been. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if I change up my diet and, and get because cause you don't realize how big you got. This is how I found out I was big, right? So it's usually you do something that you're used to doing and it's a little more difficult than it was. Like yeah. you go upstairs to your apartment a hundred times, but this day you're like, I'm exhausted. I'm a little tired. Yeah. Well, for me, I was putting on some shoes and I had leaned down and when I came up, I seen little twinkly things in the air and I was like, okay, I've gotten carried away because there's not no fairies in here and why do I see twinklies in the air? That's when you fat because I'm like, I still got to put on my other shoes. Oh. Oh my God, you got like dizzy and almost fainted. That part. <laughs> you just stomping down the backs of brand new shoes like, nah, these about to be slippers. I'm not going to be tying these over and over again. That's I how I knew I got fat. I cannot. We're going to make a go into the gym pact. Yeah. I, well, I already I already started hitting the gym. So this is the thing, right? So I'm on um, NBC's Young Rock. Yeah. The, um, it's Dwayne Johnson's show of his life. It's kind of like everybody hates Chris, but it shows him at three different times from his, from his youth. And I play uh, the historic infamous wrestler, uh, the Junkyard Dog. Uh-huh. And 
when we filmed that, it was during pandemic and I went to Australia and there was nothing to do because everything was locked down. So all I did was lift weights and try to physically turn into this guy. Yeah. And I got my biceps up to 22 inches. Like they were like, it was, it was nuts. Still had a belly because they did back in the day. Like wrestlers Fair. would just be fat and strong. Yeah. And I was like, cool. So never really learned to cut weight, learn how to turn arms and certain parts of my body into muscle. And they called and was like, listen, we're about, we're doing season three. We got you green lit for, um, for one of the episodes. Get ready. I'm like, cool. They can't tell you to get in shape or tell you what shape to be in. Cause that's like hella more money for them, but they get ready. I'm like, I got you. I know what that means. Let me get back in the gym. So I start hitting it three, four, five times a week. And my physique is starting to change again. Um, they since the writers um, did a new draft and went away from me being in that particular episode. And we're waiting to see if I'll be in one of the other 12. Um, but I didn't stop going to the gym. And for me, that's a win because in the past I'm like, I'm going to change. I'm going to put the work in because I'm getting ready for this opportunity. If the opportunity gone, Burger King, horse meat, let's go. But with this time I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to stay consistent. <laughs> but you know what I heard? Um, when you, gain a lot of muscle, mm -hmm. and then you just stop working out, it turns into fat. You heard that? Yeah. Where you hear that at? Some bodybuilders. Man, that's scary. But my arms never really got fat. They just went <laughs> well, back were, like, to my normal... The muscle, like, turns into fat. After, There's like... no way. I bet that's true. I feel like it's true, because a lot of times you think about different people that are, like, super, like, buff, yeah. and then they stop working out, yeah. and then they just look solid. Right. <laughs> It's but it's, solid. it just, it just, it just like the muscles melted. I'll tell you what's melted. interesting is like, I have friends that play like, you know, D1 college ball or NFL ball. And like, you see them two or three years after they aren't in the league or in, in playing anymore. And they're regular sized people again. Hmm. But at the, at their, at their uh, top, you're like, yo, this dude is a prop. This dude looks like <laughs> a brick house. Like I got a frat brother, Fred Shavies. He could, he'd have to turn sideways to get through this door. He was just a full brick house like wow. a problem like wow. any altercation people were like we got to shoot him like he was that big he finished up and now he the same size as proof <laughs> and it's not that you little <laughs> but you regular you know what I'm saying? <laughs> irregular that's a medium hoodie you know what I'm saying? he got down to medium from being a 4x solid muscle dude man can y'all see proof no y'all can't see proof yeah come we, we can see him R-E-G-U-L-E-R. <laughs> -E <laughs> and we are not talking regular dank people. So, okay. Real quick before I get into Six Randoms with Besa, your movie Spirit is out. It's you are it's your big screen debut. Yeah. How did it feel in Bellevue watching it? Uh Christ. I'll be honest with you. And you nice. had to do two nights because it sold out. Two showings. Yeah. So it was it was nuts. So like um they made it a little difficult because with me not living in L.A., like, I couldn't do any of the screenings and things like that down there, mm -hmm. right? Like, I, I lived in L.A. for, like, nine, ten years. So that's normal that you're just like, yo, come down to Manchester Theater and we're watching it. Tonight. Like, this wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. They released the movie in theaters in 40 states, and Washington wasn't one of the initial states that they were releasing it. Oh, wow. So it came out on the 11th of November and wasn't playing here. Okay. On the 18th of November, it aired on Apple TV everywhere. 
So then I had the option of watching it myself on a phone or anywhere I get Apple TV or to like stream it at the club and do like a thing, uh, which I think is illegal. Um, Or just wait and see who had. So we called around and Cinemark. uh, It was playing at two theaters, one in Bremerton and one at the, the really nice reserve Cinemark in Bellevue. And I was like, I'm going. So they're like, call corporate to get your own private screening. I call corporate. They're like, you need 21 days notice. I'm like, no, this movie's on Monday. So we're just going to (laughs) come. So I call the theater and she's like, we got two to four tickets sold for it. And I'm like, I'm going to push that showing to all my people. And then overnight it sold out. Yeah. And then, well, actually in three hours. And then the next day I woke up to like four four missed calls from this lady where she's like, I fought for you and I got a second showing ad. It's going to be a 745. And the reason why we can't just start at 701 is because we do a full dinner and a full bar and I don't want to slam my staff with that many people at once. I'm like, all right, fine. So we go to the movies and it was doper than I expected for a couple of reasons. One, uh, my mom and dad were able to make it. And so they got to see my big screen debut and they're older. So to me, that's a big W because it's like, you got to see my little voyage into the big screen and they did right by me in the movie. Yeah. So, you know, that's the baby. You want, you want your parents to see you hell do something before they go. No period. They're not immortal, you know, and I'm a realist. So I was just so thankful that my mom could sit in the theater with some popcorn and look at her baby on that screen. I said, I, I, I did something. Yeah. Okay. Like, Mama, I got to make you proud. I and did I got to something. See it. Okay. Yeah. All right. So then, uh, then the movie itself, um, I'm in it like four or five times and I'm speaking for whatever, however many times I'm in it, there's one shot where it's like a, a face or an expression. Mm-hmm. The rest, I have speaking lines Wow. and I'm talking. I'm one of the opening lines of the movie. I'm in the middle of the movie. I'm at the end of the movie. I'm like one of the last lines in the And everything I'm saying, I'm cracking jokes. And so um, the making of it is what made me um, not sure if I was going to even make the cut at all. Mm-hmm. Because people don't realize, like, when they shoot a movie, there's 150 roles. And they edit, and it's you, most movies are down to maybe 120. So there's people oh. who are in movies, and they're proud that they're in the movie. And then they go to watch it. And their scene ain't in there. It's not there. It's cut. Oh, wow. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? So, um, long story medium, okay? <laughs> I went there that day expecting to shoot from 10 a.m. till noon. Uh-huh. And uh, the movie, I didn't know at the time, but the movie had already been shot in full. They mm-hmm. shot it during the pandemic in Boston, and this movie was done. The director showed us a piece of the movie, and it had words on the screen like it was edited to the point that the credits came out oh wow on this part and i was like like it was done done yeah i'm like what are we doing they're like well we added you guys to it because we got network notes from apple that they want to punch it up some more i'm like all right so you just want us to act a fool today yeah so we do everything that they give us in the scripts it's it's myself there's a young lady and there's a uh and there's a, a young guy um she looks like the dude from Stranger Things with the messed up teeth, but she has Chris Farley energy. And then he was like McLovin. And her job was to love musicals. His job was to question the afterlife. And my job was to not like nothing that's going on. Wow. <laughs> and I ain't had no problem with that because as uh, Nate Jackson is not with the musicals. Okay. So I got to roast the project I was in and have fun. Yeah. So we did what they had in the script. And he was like, all right, 
be your character and just be in the moment right now, say whatever. And so I start, I start firing off one-liners and when I, and everybody was doing it, but the stuff I was saying, he'd say cut and all of production would laugh. They would be cackling in the back. They're dying. <laughs> so they come over. He's like, we're going to, we're going to keep going with you. Keep going. 30 takes later of me saying different funny stuff. Every time we break for lunch and I'm thinking I'm gone for the day. And they're uh-huh. like, recruits and nate jackson now i'm getting called by name over the pa system stay around after lunch i'm like okay recruits and specifically this guy nate jackson this guy so then um we come back from lunch and they are now just ad living scenes for us to do that are basically we're recruits to this new world Uh so you get shown this world by walking with us it's already going. It's just this whole magical thing or whatever. And then they're like, you and you, come with us. This is how that works. That's how that works. And you're watching that in the theater going, okay, I, I feel new like they feel. Yeah. So they give you some, a voyeur to be with. So they are, now they're just taking scenes. They, they know they've already shot from the movie. And like, all right, here's what just happened. He just did this or they just did a dance routine and it's going to come back to you and you got to give a comment. So, so they, it was like smooth impromptu. And then they're like, ready, action. And a hundred people start moving around in the back and the camera zooms into your face. It's nerve wracking. You got to look regular and you say whatever you thought was funny, right? Bop. And I would say my line and they're like, genius. They're all laughing (laughs) and they come back again. But I knew that in reality, in the movie itself, there was only going to be so many moments that they go to us. Yeah. And if I said 30 different things in the same moment, they're going to pick one. So it don't matter if I shot 10 hours. I'm like, I just hope they use something. Yeah. And all of us were saying stuff. So I didn't know what was going to be on screen. Interesting. And then my boy down, Aunt Rose, the same one that was at the Mike Epstein years ago. Uh-huh. Aunt Rose was like, bro, I'm at a screening for your movie. And he was, he was, it was like the eighth. He was before it even was supposed to release. Oh, wow. So this was like a, a screening screening. What? He was like, I, I came to the screening that the choreographers threw. Chloe mm. and Mod are like cool ass black girls. And they are the ones that choreographed the whole thing. So they threw their own screening. He's like, yo, I just went mind blown that you're in it. You should have told me. I'm like, okay. He was like, <laughs> Uh, two, uh, amazing. They did hella right by you. You need to tell your mom, dad, family, sisters, friends, any girl that ever curved you. You need to have everybody see this movie because, bro, you kill it. And I'm like, really? Like that? Like I did? He's like, bro, I'm telling you, do a screening and don't do it at the cl- Like go to a theater, like have the whole real feel like a movie outing. So that was really like your first, first time really, really seeing it with everybody. Was yeah, I didn't really- watch it before. Wow. And other people had, like, people were like, man, I just had to sneak and watch it last night, man. You did good, man. I can't wait to see how you feel about it. I'm like, really? So I'm sitting in the theater like, okay, that's the line they went with. So it's not necessarily like a, a full-on enamored by it because it is happening in front of me, but I'm just like, okay, they went with that line. All right, that's cool. I felt like that was maybe the second or third funniest thing I did, but I bet the first funniest thing was too wild. <laughs> they go to another thing. I'm like, ooh, they used it again. Oh, they used your boy again. Like, that's how I was in the thing. I'm like, yo. So by the time we get up out of there and they're still showing stuff, like after the last song, I'm still talking. I'm like, what? Yo, this is crazy. That's and the lady at the epic. theater was like, man, you didn't tell me you stole the movie. And I was like, I, I didn't on, know. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I definitely didn't steal that movie, but I, I'm glad I contributed. And it, and it came out well. That is freaking amazing. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to do something I like to call six randoms with Besa. Mm-hmm. Number one, now that you've been on the big screen, yeah. what is a character that you would want to play next? The Tin Man, if they redo the Wiz. 
That was so quick. I love it. Yeah, because I can sing. I'm big. I can handle everything that um, Nipsey Russell did. A teeny slide some oil <laughs> to me. See, you should have done the whiz that they're doing at Fifth Avenue Theater. I didn't even know. But I want to be in you know, the, like most the of real, the, if they redo the movie. The movie, the movie. They let Chris Brown be the scarecrow. They let uh, be Beyonce be Dorothy or, or Chloe Bailey be Dorothy. And let's redo this thing. I will be the Tin Man and I'll nail it. Um. Yeah, that's one of the randoms. I freaking love it. Okay. Uh, favorite place to eat in Tacoma? Mm, soul food. Soul food. Uh, Southern Kitchen, hands down. Southern Kitchen, hands People down. People don't argue with me about it, but it is what it is. I like that <laughs> butterfish. I like the I like the uh, the six half meal deal. <laughs> and they always show love. Uh, your favorite drink at your club? The beautiful. The beautiful. Yeah. So down south, they call it a French Connection. Up here in the Pacific Northwest, we call it a beautiful, but it's Grand Marie and Hennessy. And then I call it Nate Jackson's beautiful, and we drop a cherry in it. I love it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what kind of music do you listen to when you're getting ready to go on stage? I don't really listen to really? music when I'm getting ready to go on stage. So, like, you like silence or? No, like, I, right now with me running the club, I'm like checking text messages. I'm literally like, while my name's getting introduced. Like, it's not a whole bunch of. Music playing, but I but lately I've been coming on stage to um, Freddie Gibbs too much. Oh, nice! Mm-hmm. I like that song. Uh, we play it in Fresno. Yeah. Uh, one misconception of being a comedian uh, that we have groupies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's for the R and B guys and the dudes with six and eight packs. Comics just be <laughs> alone, or you know what I mean? Like it's not. It's that's not a thing. That's not a thing. There may be a couple like like sex symbol comics that are, are winning like that, but in general, it's just not it. Like that wasn't that wasn't our origin. Most comics, we, we had to make people laugh to get them to like us in the first yeah. place. But nah, comics don't got no bunch of. We don't have hoes. What would Nate say to his seven year old self? Stop. I was bad as hell. <laughs> Sit your little bad ass down. Stop. Just, just stop. Just stop. Yeah, just relax. It's all going to just stop. Just stop being bad. Listen to your mama and your dad, fool. And then this is a bonus one. What would you say to the next black kid that's from Tacoma and wants to be a comedian? Uh, I would say go get Judy Carter's Comedy Bible. Start studying comedy and start uh, taking as many uh, self-educated courses on YouTube University about the craft you want to do. Come on, YouTube University. Yeah, pick up your pen and start writing. Um, there's nothing stopping you from from getting out your creativity. Don't be limited by anyone that's trying to set the pace for how fast or how much you get your stuff out. Use social media as your own TV channel. And uh, once you're funny, because you're not going to be, you're going to be trash at first. Once you're funny, then shift from uh, focusing on funny to collecting people because it's a people collection business. I love it. Well, shoot, you guys. That's all I got for you guys for today's interview with Nate Jackson. I want to thank you for pulling all the way up to iHeart literally day after Thanksgiving. That part. I'm pretty sure we're all a little little sleepy, sleepy from yesterday's meals, but we made it out in the rain. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is next for you? Uh, Next for me, so I I started posting a lot of stand-up clips on TikTok, and it's been very rewarding because it's not jokes. It's like when I'm doing crowd work or just messing with people, and I think people around the country are seeing that I'm that cold because I think there's only maybe five people doing crowd work the way I do. And 
I'm putting some good stuff on there. But it took a while to have the workflow to capture it. And so I'm glad that I have that workflow, whether, you know, how the cameras are set up mm-hmm. and the, the audio is right. And then I can just caption it and post it online. And it's it's doing well. I started posting on TikTok um, 45 days ago. I had 108 followers and I have 114,000 today. Wow. Um there's a video I posted five days ago that has 4.6 million. There's one I posted this morning that has 601,000 um, views on it. Uh, that's it playing right there. Um, <laughs> there's 103 likes on it. Like there's 2.2 million likes on my page in 45 days. I think that's special. And I've been around entertainment long enough to know when there's, um, you know, something on even on a microcosm level that matters. Yeah. And I'm going to pay attention to what's happening like, here. Look, it's working. It's working. And anytime you can gain over a hundred thousand followers in a month or so, no period, you should probably focus on that. Yeah. So I'm giving that some attention. I had a daily show that I was doing on Instagram every day and that, that added 40,000 followers to my Instagram, but the workflow was different. Like I had to have a different editor and a different mm-hmm. bunch of stuff like that to where this I can control. I can hop on this. I can post my stuff. And it's, it's been wildly rewarding, even on the simple level of just refreshing the screen and seeing how many more people watched it since <laughs> I did it. I do that all the time. Just basic, but I'm, but I'm enjoying <laughs> it. So it's, it's um, Mr. Nate Jackson. TikTok is my, my TikTok. Then Mr. Nate Jackson on Instagram, the Nate Jackson comedy on the web and the Nate Jackson comedy on Facebook or super funny comedy club.com for my comedy club uh, or super funny at, uh, at super funny comedy club on Instagram. And listen, um, you guys listen to a lot of interviews, a lot of rewinds. You got to keep supporting Basa, but tap in, <laughs> tap in with me and, and see what's going on. Cause something's happening and we're in it right now. I love it, you guys. So, look, until next time, once again, I want to thank Nate Jackson for sitting down with us today. Um, And, of course, you guys, you already know what I'm going to tell you to do. Have an amazing rest of your day. And, of course, until next time, keep that energy high. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.